Hi, and welcome to Building Perspective with Matt Riley and Molly Elkman. We're here to bring value to you and your team by exploring all things sales and marketing related. All from different perspectives. Today, our focus discussion of the week is the buyer journey, and we're going to break that down a little bit. And we're actually going to do a three-part series on this, and it's not going to necessarily be sequential from this week to next week to the the following week, but uh, we're going to mix in about three different uh, topics regarding the buyer buyer journey and how these break down and uh, how they might pertain to your day-to-day marketing efforts. But first, let's dive into our top topics of the week. I'm going to go ahead and go first. Okay, what do you got? All right. So I am really excited that I am going for the very first time. I'm I'm actually speaking there um, at a conference that is called Women in Residential Construction. And I've heard about this conference for years and I haven't been able to attend in the past because of the age of my children and it just didn't work out in the past. And this year I am so excited that I am one of the speakers. So um, I, I want to share a link to the event and I definitely want to invite all of, um, all of you to come join. It is not just women. I know some men in the industry like to come as well. It is September 25th to 27th and it's in Scottsdale, Arizona. And I have just heard how amazing this event is by so many women that I just love and respect in our industry. And one of the things for me coming into housing is just I'm always blown away by how supportive um, everyone really is of each other. And I think I really do think it's something that makes our industry so special. And I, that's one of the reasons I am most excited to be a part of this event. Um, this is a professional builder event. And Denise Durson has been someone that I've known throughout my entire career in housing. And she gave me a couple of my very first opportunities. So I'm just so pumped to be around her. And the fact that she invited me to speak, I'm just, I'm super excited. So um, Matt, I don't think you're going to join me at that one. I'm not this time, uh, but I may next time, you know, Uh, I, I actually have heard really great things about it as well. It's been one of those events that um, I've wanted to go to and wanted to attend. Timing wise has always been a challenge. Kids getting back into school, you know, other travel arrangements and things like that. But uh, I do want to make sure I get it on my calendar to get to because it it is, I think it could be a pretty inspiring couple of yeah, days. Yeah. And you know, every year there are more and more women in leadership roles within housing. And I think to have this core group of people, I mean, it's really a couple hundred female executives and managers from all across the country that are working in residential construction. So, you know, to have a a conference that is so specific and so targeted, um, it's, it's really empowering. And I have to say, I've never had an opportunity to be a part of something like that. So, I, I'm just really excited about it, and I I would be lying if I said I wasn't planning to check out the spa while I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling it'll be women in residential construction in the spa, at least for one day, but um, you know what? There's something to that as well. Sometimes you go and you learn, but you also have to rejuvenate and take care of yourself. So absolutely, I do want people to check out this conference, especially because it's professional builder and Denise in particular, who I just 
really respect and admire. Yeah, I, I'm not ashamed to say that when I got stuck at IBS for two extra days, one of those extra days I spent in the spa. Oh my God, you didn't tell me that. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, uh, what else are you going to... Uh, I've been to Vegas at least a dozen times and uh, there's really... I've seen everything that Vegas has to offer. So two extra days in Vegas for me was three extra days too many. And uh, even though it was only two extra days. So yeah, I just spent an entire day in the Bellagio spa just because there's nothing else to do. That sounds nice. <laughs> it wasn't bad at all. That was a, So it snowed in Vegas and obviously that started it. And then I got stuck with the whole Southwest mechanical strike. And yeah, so there you go. Anyway, a day at the spa is good. I can't wait. So I, I hope some of our listeners will meet me there and please, please say hello and please tell me that you listen because uh, I would love to hear that. Do you know what topic are you speaking on yet, Molly? Have you determined what your topic is? You know, I I have an idea, but um, I haven't fully gone there yet. So it definitely will be new for this conference specifically. And um yeah, I, I've started to work on it. That's what made me think about sharing this as our top topic, because I do, I am excited with the direction that um, my talk is going in. And then, of course, I read about all the other speakers, and they're just fabulous. I mean, I can't wait yeah. to go and attend, which um, is is really nice, because a lot of times when you go, when you speak at an event, you just go and give your talk. But this is an event where I just can't wait to be in the audience. Yeah, well... Uh, maybe in the next week or two, you can give some behind the scenes of uh, upcoming talk. It'll so probably be, be personal. So it's just for the people who are attending. <laughs> okay. Well, there you go. Well, then you better get your ticket if exactly. you want to hear Exactly. <laughs> All right. So I've got two things that I'm going to touch on before we dive into our total focus of the week. But uh, one is just kind of fun. So this is an article off of uh, social media today. Uh, show, it'll, the link will be in the show notes. But this is a breakdown. Of how much time do people spend on social media a day in, tw- in 2019? Molly, what do you, what's your guess? What do you think before I tell you? Oh, I, for me, it's a very high number. I'm, I'm embarrassed. You know, your phone can keep track of it. Um, I mean, it's hours, right? It is hours. I'll give you that. It is hours. It's not a ridiculous number of hours, but it is an it is measured in hours. Two hours. Two hours and twenty three yeah, minutes. I mean, even just thinking in hours, that, that's a lot of time out of your whole day while you're awake. I mean, think about that. That's crazy. No question. It's it's crazy. So here's how it breaks down. So over since like 2012, really back when this kind of stuff really kicked off. Really, if you think about it. Um, it, it was a minute and 30, or I'm sorry, an hour and 30 minutes and each year it has increased. And I find that really interesting because you read all these articles about Facebook's, uh, you know, engagement is declining, Instagram reach is declining, but yet the time that people are spending has continued to rise since 2012, going all the way for, to two hours and 23 minutes, up just one minute from last year, two hours and 22 minutes. However, it is a rise. Now, that's all social media platforms averaging out. Now, then you get into how much time people spend on each platform. And Facebook still has the lion's share. So they're at 58 minutes under the Facebook app. 
Uh, and then Instagram is 53 minutes, which, oh, by the way, is owned by Facebook. And if you haven't seen the news, Facebook is getting ready to roll out to where when they start, you start seeing their other platforms, WhatsApp, Instagram, things like that. It'll say Instagram by Facebook. I think they're wanting to start getting credit. People are forgetting that Instagram is not as, you know, they forget that it's owned by Facebook. The next one up, which is of no surprise, is YouTube. 40 minutes. I think my kids spend their total allotment of screen time on YouTube. Same with mine. Uh, and Snapchat's 35 minutes. Twitter is only at, at three minutes a day. Wow. You know, I think the difference is, is the type of platform that Twitter is. It's a quick hitter. You know, you're going to come in, you're going to do, do a scroll through, you're going to get your news or whatever it is you're trying to see. It's, it's, it's much more of a short, quick hit platform where you think about Facebook or Instagram specifically or YouTube mainly like Facebook and YouTube, you can go down the black hole yeah. of videos like i watch a video and then they queue up the next one and the next thing i know i'm scrolling like 12 videos deep and that's 18 minutes of my life i'll never get back i i spend zero minutes a day on twitter just full disclosure that's never been for me um i get stuck though on facebook for sure and i think it's intended to be that way it's like going into an ikea and they purposely have it so that you just keep going and going and going and you can't get out um Instagram, I love how they tell you when you're all caught up. I mean, that's the best is it says you've seen everything so you can move on. So um, I would say, how much do you think you spend a day? Um, You know, it's hard because I do a lot of stuff for work as well. I I mean, I'm probably, my guess is an hour, hour and a half. You think you're under the average. I think I'm under the average. I'm definitely over the average. So, all right. So here's what we have to know. If you're listening, uh, you, if you're hearing me, obviously you're listening. That's a really stupid comment <laughs> to make. Uh, how, if you're listening to this, uh, no, we want to hear, go to the Building Perspective Facebook group. And I want to hear what you guys are consuming from a social perspective. If you're over, under, what platform you think you use the most. Uh, I know Will Duderstadt, he listens to this. And he's a big Twitter guy. So, Will, I'd like to see, you got to tell us how much how much time you spend on Twitter in comparison to the other platforms as well. And w- frankly, why you would want to spend that much time on Twitter. But <laughs> listen, we all we all have our what we like. I am a Facebook fan forever. And I know other people have moved away from yeah. that one, but I love it. Yep. Well, so you guys post your comments in there. We'll pull it all together. And then, uh, next week's episode, uh, we'll talk about it and see what everybody else said. So that'll, that'll be fun. Uh, my other topic that was just for fun. My other topic is kind of an interesting discussion. So I buyers of the world. So that's open door. That's Redfin. That's our friends over at Zillow. That's, you know, offer pad Keller Williams is now in the mix. There's, there's a ton of, there's several ones now that are getting into this. I buyer, uh, I buyer world, which in case you don't know, if you've been living under a rock, uh, Molly asked me what I buyer was. She knew what it was. She knew what it was, but she didn't know the term. So I buyers is where the, you know, this company comes in and makes us just a straight up offer to the homeowner. They are, you know, either take it or leave it. Right. And it's always going to be below market value. They're going to do a full assessment on the property, have it appraised, you know, do the whole nine. But the whole sell to this is that it's convenience 
for the seller, right? The whole sell is its convenience for the seller. Now, as a builder, I think we would be, you know, from the home building perspective, it's great for us. I think if people can get in on this and make the numbers work, it works it works out really, really well for us as builders because the customer, you know, our customer, the seller of their property can really control their closing date. So we we get away from this having to move twice scenario, having to do, you know, go through and do repairs and have stage the home and paint it and all the things that come along with it. That's the convenience factor. Now, there's a couple things that come along with this. One, the numbers are starting to come in that sellers are paying upwards, or I should say not getting upwards of around 13 to 15% of what they would see if they were to sell it themselves, AKA get a realtor and list it. Um, so they're, they're taking a hit on what they're ta- what they're getting for the home to the tune of up to 15% of what their uh, ASP could be. They're asking or average sales price. And so they just, the customer just has to monitor and weigh like, Hey, is this work for me? Am I willing to pay a premium for the convenience? And I think it all depends on what your situation is. Yeah. We, we talked last week about the value of convenience. And when we talked about data and what you're willing to give up when it comes to just having convenience, there really is significant value there. So, you know, 15%, that's a big number. That's a big number. It is, but for some people just to have that ease and peace of mind and just, um, you know, eliminate that stress, that that convenience has significant value. So I don't know. That could be, if you're in a $200,000 house, that's yeah, 30,000 bucks. I was going to say it's real money. That's real money. Um, <laughs> that's real money. That's not Monopoly money. That's real money. Uh, but the other thing that's interesting, so we, you know, we're saying, okay, they're taking up to a 15% hit, but as a whole, this actual market segment is losing money. So, you know, I, I, I don't want to throw out the name cause I could get the specific company wrong based on the article, but, um, that, that segment lost $71 million in Q2. That's a lot. And I believe, I believe, I'll have to do a fact checker, but I believe that that was that was Zillow's quarterly earnings report. Um, so it was it was it's big, right? So they're saying that Zillow released earnings on quarterly earnings on Wednesday. And it revealed that forty percent of its six hundred million dollar quarterly revenue came from its iBuying business. Zillow offers, right? So Zillow is wanting to extend essentially the Zestimate to become a standing offer, right? So if you go to Zillow, and I think Zillow has the ability to lead the way on this thing. I think they have so many more tools and so many, you know, they're the Google of real estate uh, from, they control the search, but they had the ability to lead the pack on this and, and eventually other folks funding will run out. But, you know, right now they're losing 71, they lost 71 million bucks in Q2 off of that. Uh, It's a long-term play, uh, but I did find it interesting that people were still taking a 15%, up to a 15% hit for the convenience, but yet that industry, that segment of that industry as a whole is still a loss. So I I find that like, there's that, there's that convenience penalty that people are paying, but it's not paying off in dividends for the buyer, the iBuyer. 
Yeah, it's really interesting. I definitely want to get some of our friends from Zillow on here and talk a little bit more about that because I, I would like to know what direction they think it's going in. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. So those were our top topics of the week. And we're, what we're going to do is we're going to take a real quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to dive into our focus discussion of the week. The buyer journey breakdown and what all of that means and how, what it means to your marketing plan. So hang tight and we'll be right back. All right, and we are back. And we are going to dive into our focus discussion of the week, the buyer journey breakdown. And like I said at the very beginning, what we're going to do is we're going to break this down into three different parts. And the reason we're breaking this down into three different parts, when I say three different parts, this will be three different episodes. And this is going to go in conjunction. We've got, by the time this drops, uh, we'll have a blog written about this as well. So we're going to talk about it in writing, and then we're going to talk about it a little bit more uh, in conversation, obviously here on the podcast. And so we're going to break this down in three parts. The reason three parts is we're going to take it by sections of the funnel. So top of funnel, middle of funnel, and then bottom of funnel. And we're going to talk about what the different marketing tactics look like um, and how that should tweak your plan as, as you're putting together your marketing strategy, your marketing plan, the content you create, all of the above, right? So Molly and I were talking and we said, man, we've got to make sure we stay on point here because we could talk for hours on this stuff. So why don't we start? Um, Molly, you start off and what do you think about, well, not necessarily think, but from a top of funnel perspective, you know, thinking of marketing big picture, what does that, what, for you, what does that mean? Yeah. So I could specifically talk about top of funnel forever. Um, I think that this tends to be where people go wrong as marketers more than anything else, because this is really your overall awareness. This is your branding. And it is so important to the entire to the entire message of all marketing from here on and everything that touches uh, the buyer. So what I like to think about with the top of funnel is really starting with, you know, the look before you even get into any mediums or or where you're reaching people and thinking about your logos, your color, your font, your voice, who are you before you do any marketing at all and really um, getting that nailed down because I think a lot of people kind of skip that step and then try to come back and fix it. And that's when you get a disconnect um, in your overall marketing. So to me, this discovery phase and figuring out who you are, what your spot in the market is, is just so, so, so freaking important. Oh, absolutely. Understanding what your voice is, what you're trying to own, things like that is is vital. Um, if you've if you've ever heard me, if you've heard me talk, I shouldn't say ever, if you've heard me talk at IBS or any, you know, our home builder tech conference, any any type of webinar, in anything where I'm just talk, you know, giving a talk, one of the things you've heard me always say is we have to meet our customers where they are in their process. And that's where we break up the, the and, and really start to break down the different types of the buyer funnel. 
And and what I mean by that is it's like it's kind of like in a way, Molly, it's kind of like dating. Like you don't you don't see somebody you're interested in uh, at the well, maybe you do. Maybe I just maybe I was just it's bad. Been too long. <laughs> it's been way too long. But you don't just walk up, you know, you don't walk up and, you know, go go for the fit what would happen on the fifth date, right? I'm gonna try to keep this PG. Uh, <laughs> um, but you you've got to figure out. You got to you know you take the steps and and hey, how are you? What's your name? Uh, my name is. It's it, and it's very similarly. It's like the sales process. Let me keep it. Let me let me keep this G rated, not even PG rated. But it's like the sales process when someone first walks in the sales center. You don't walk up to them and ask them to buy the home that they haven't seen yet because it's it's all out of order. In order to close the sale, you have to earn the right to ask for the sale. And there's all these steps that come along in the process to make that happen. And the same thing applies to your your marketing and your marketing plan. And so you've got to meet the customer where they are. And we know that uh, we have a much longer sales cycle in home buying than your any any type of e-commerce product, even you know automobiles. I mean, we have the one of the longest sales funnels out there, sales cycles out there. And we have to know where things start. And so when you're top of funnel, people start searching with questions, right? Like, how do I take out a mortgage? What if they've never taken out a mortgage? What are the things to look for uh, when purchasing a home? Um, if I if I've purchased a home before, maybe this is my very first home. I've never sold a home before, so then I have to start searching for things like what are the steps that are required to actually sell my current home? What do I need to prep in order to go get a realtor or list it myself or use an iBuyer program, whatever it may be? Um, what are those steps? So top of funnel, people start asking questions about how to do something. And that's where, like you were saying, Molly, understanding your brand and understanding your voice really starts to come into play because we want to meet the customer where they are in their buying journey and, and have content out there that they can find that matches up with that. And then the whole point of creating that content is to get them to pull them in further down the funnel where you get into middle of funnel. And that's obviously part two, middle of funnel. Uh, but for me, that is what top of funnel, how that speaks to me is are, they're asking questions and are we the authority? Are we being the, you know, the assumed authority in asking those questions? Yeah. And I actually think of top of funnel a little bit even further back because I think of it as they don't even know that they're necessarily that they're even in a funnel or that there is a funnel. This is more just you want to you want them to know who you are. I mean, you can't sure. going back to your dating analogy. I mean, <laughs> you can't ask someone on a date if they don't know who you are or haven't seen you. That's sure. really it. You know, so if you want them, if you want an audience to see you, you have to first know who you are and put yourself in front of them. So showing up in all those places, like you said before, and making sure you're going where they are. Yeah. Um, what's kind of funny is I I used to for years, I hate the idea of a funnel at all because there are so many touch points to get in front of people. So really to me, the top of funnel looks like, you know, like a a huge mess. Cause if you were to take a line and connect all those touch points, it would look like scribble. Um, 
you know, all the different places that you have an opportunity to get in front of people just so they know who you are. Yeah. No, I agree. And I think my dating analogy was terrible, especially now because in the, in, it's relevant. in the world of what tender, like you just swipe left or swipe right oh, or whatever the heck direction you swipe. <laughs> I don't know the answer. I don't know. Anyway. So maybe, maybe you just skip straight to the fifth date on tender. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> oh, fun stuff. Okay. All right. So here are some, I want to provide some examples more of like those tactics at the top of the funnel. So for me, social media is a really, really big one um, because the great thing about advertising, so we're talking now it's a mixture of organic posting and ads themselves, but essentially you can create your funnel within a funnel within social media from an organic strategy and a paid strategy. Um, you know, answering those questions, those searches that they're going for and, and being that, that brand awareness out there, understanding who they are. Um, and so that's one of the things that I, I feel like is a, a huge opportunity and some really low hanging fruit for people is creating that funnel within a funnel inside of social media, because there's an opportunity there to get people to get in front of people and let them see so many different types of of things that you want them to see about your company, um, all based on behaviors or based on AI or, you know, based on whatever it is you want them to see th- based on the actions that they've taken. Maybe they've been to your website before and you want them to see these different types of actions. Yeah. And that's why it's so important on social media that you're really making sure that you are addressing those top of the funnel leads and really giving information and not just making it about the sale, really um, showing who you are and giving content that is valuable to them in this, you know, early phase of, of search really before they're even a lead at all. Oh yeah, for sure. And we've talked about this before, but I think, you know, this is where it comes into people enjoy being marketed to or they find it a convenience. Maybe it's not an enjoyment like, ah, here's an ad. But if it's relevant to you, it's not like, oh, crap, here's an ad. You know, I've got to sift through another ad and, and meeting people where they are. So if they're at, they're at the top of the funnel and you're showing them something about here's here's a house, you need to buy it. That's not going to be helpful to them. And so that's where you get in and create that and, and create the the content out there for them. Another, another good piece is blogging. That's, that's huge from a blog standpoint, being able to create those lists, even Google's even, if you even, if you notice this, when you're searching for content on Google organically and you start asking Google questions about how to do something, you're now starting to see these drop down accordions, right? So it's like how to do, and you tap the thing and it drops, like maybe you're, maybe you're asking it how to do something technical, like how do I delete this app? or this program, and it'll give you a really specific detailed listed out. Um, but those actually, Google's not giving you the answer. It's pulling that information from someone else's website or someone else's blog. And it's just showing that right there inside of Google. And from an SEO perspective, if you're creating good content that way, and you're asking those key questions, understanding what people are searching for, they're going to see those steps. Then there'll be that, that link at the bottom because it looks a little different than it has in the past. And then they'll be able to click through to your site and actually dive into the rest of your content. Do you see that? Do you see that, Molly, when you're searching? Yeah, I think it, it definitely applies to everyone who's searching any t- kind of topic. And it's not just about housing. It's a, it's 
everything. I mean, all of it. Yeah. I mean, people looking for a new appliance or any product that is out there. And we're just, we happen to be talking about the biggest purchase that people make. Yeah, for sure. And and so this is where we get into, you know, we start talking about labeling your marketing budget and talking about the things that are intended for, you know, marking them for what they're intended for. So this, we're going to spend X dollars and it's going to be brand awareness. It's going to be top of funnel and it's going to consist of these things. It could, you know, so social media is one or a part of social media, not all of social media. So, you know, Facebook, et cetera, can be really middle and some parts of bottom of funnel, depending on how you've got your ads structured. Um, and blog obviously is the same thing. You can you can walk people through that process. Uh, another one that may not come to mind when you're thinking top of funnel, but is Google Ads. Actually paying for some of that top of funnel because maybe your SEO is not in a position to where it's automatically coming up. But if you can catch the customer in their initial search and their initial intent and pull them in, then you're 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 much more apt to actually get them to pull them completely in and then buy from you. Retail stores do this all the time. Target did it. We talked about the power of habit, you know, with Charles Duhigg. And we talked about the example that they used was, you know, the coupons that were being sent to Target. What, you know, why do these, why do stores like Target start to carry specific things that you see um, that they maybe didn't carry before. And it's because they want to completely pull you in and essentially you can get everything that you need all at one fell swoop. And it's kind of the same thing. So if they can get you in the door for the sale, for the coupon that they sent you, then you're in the door for all the other stuff too. Absolutely. I think, um, I think all of this is really about awareness. And I think where it tends to get confusing of, of where people are in the buying cycle is really the messaging. So what happens is um, when you talk about Google ads, you know, when we have more of like a branding message, that would be top of the funnel. Then as we get deeper and more targeted, then it it's moving further down the funnel. And um, that's why for so many years, we've been hearing people talk about content and the relevance of what your content is. It really is because you have to have content that hits people at different stages in the buying cycle. So um, again, like I said earlier, I think the miss is really the top of funnel because we go right for it. And, um, you know, we don't in our industry, there isn't enough of that general awareness and that branding. And this is becoming a much, much bigger topic now because I think it's been clearly identified from other industries that the housing industry is a little bit behind in this sense and that we need to start with that general awareness and branding before we can get into that more specific messaging, even if it is on the same platforms, Google ads, blogs, social media, you know, all of those different places. Yep, absolutely. Agreed. Okay. All right. Um, a couple other quick things on this. So just trying to give you guys some some tips, some tactics from that perspective. So we talked about Google ads, talked about blogs, we talked about social media. Um, YouTube videos are another, I think, low hanging fruit. And these things don't have to be fancy, but starting to think about putting together how to videos. I mean, I know that when something breaks in my house and I've got to try to fix it myself, I'm YouTubing how to do something. I took apart my dryer last year 
uh, off a video off YouTube from somebody walking me through how to do something. And I bought the part from them instead of somewhere else. And I fixed it myself. And I would have killed myself had I not had someone walking me through how to do that. And, you know, so think about from that perspective, whether it's homeowner maintenance tips, whether, you know, you're making a video on how to sell your home, whether you pull in a local real estate agent and interview them, you know, whether, you know, whatever it may be. And it can, you could even utilize it as a, a, a part of your warranty manual. I was just like, going to hey, say, it's like a user manual, but more personal. Absolutely. So instead of going, here's your giant binder, Mr. Customer at closing. I know you just signed 450 pages uh, for to take ownership of this house. And now I'm going to give you this giant green binder or whatever, like with an, that's another 400 pages thick. And that's where you're supposed to go to know how to operate your home and how to fix things or who to contact. But what if you put all of that together in a video format or parts of it together in video format and show people, hey, this is how you turn off the main water line at your house in case you ever need to. This is how you clean out your water heater. And this is how you flush the line or this is how, you know, this is how you're you're going to change out even as simple as it is. This is how you're going to change out the batteries in your smoke and carbon monoxide detectors. Because, oh, by the way, you should do this every six months. Think about every time the time changes or whatever whatever it may be, um, but creating that how to, and because trust me, your customers are not the only ones looking for that information. And when it's labeled and tagged, right, everybody's going to find and it. And it's something that people are going to share. So I totally, I YouTube videos on how to do everything because um, I can't read little manuals. I mean, something in the car got switched off and I, I pulled out the manual and I actually started laughing. I was like, how am I ever going to figure this out? So I just, I took out my phone. Um, same with things like children's. Um, I, I sent a car seat to my parents. I was going to visit them and instead I just sent them a link to a video of how to install it in the car because I needed it installed before I got there. And I knew they weren't going to read the instructions. I mean, who reads instructions? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, what's funny. I mean, I, this is a, a different type of example, but you've seen me do this before when someone asks how to do something, or I've gotten the technical email on, you know, how would I fix this? Or, you know, whether it's on my website or whatever, I use a tool called loom. L O O M. It's a free download and it's a Chrome plugin. And they also have a, an app that you can install on your computer, but uh, it'll, it'll, I'll walk people through how to do something, whether it's how to do something in analytics or how to set it, you know, whatever it may be. But instead of sending this big, long email about how to do it, I'll just queue up the video, talk through it, show them how to do it, send them the link and they watch it. And every single time it's the first time that someone's ever seen that they're always just like, this is amazing. The first time you and sent me one, I was like, not only did I think it was amazing, I thought it was so thoughtful because it was, it was, I, you were answering the question that I had. And that's a huge opportunity when it comes to marketing. When you do these how-to videos or put this content out there, you are speaking directly to that audience and you're making it a personal experience very early in the process. So they already, you're already building trust, which is so important. Yeah, absolutely. So those are some of the low hanging fruit 
as as we see it uh, when it comes to tactics that you can use at the top of the funnel. Um, if you guys have questions on some other other things, make sure you post them in the Building Perspective Facebook page. If you're not a member, request to be a member, and we will uh, only do half of a background check before we approve only you. Only cool just kids allowed. <laughs> only the cool only the coolest kids are in the building perspective facebook group uh but yeah so ask some questions in there if you if you want to hear more about that or if you even want to connect and if it's in detail i'm happy to uh, happy to chat but ask some questions uh in the uh, building perspective facebook group for the whole lot of us and uh you know we'll start a good conversation up there so, okay. So I had a question today, Molly, I haven't even told you about this. We got a question today in our Building Perspective Facebook group page. Uh, and it was from Michelle Smallwood over at Holiday Builders, our friends over at Holiday Builders. And she asked about, like, she was talking about topics and things to, things to chat about. And it was business planning for a community, specifically kind of the salesperson's role after the goals are set, takedown schedules, all of those things have been set into place. How does a salesperson plan for their goal, right? Once the company and, and the leadership has said, this is the direction we're going, how does the salesperson plan out their goals and plan out their business plan for that neighborhood instead of just hoping, right? Because as um, our friend Myers always says, he's always said that, um, hope is not a strategy. So I wanted to take a second and, and add some, add some thought to Michelle's question. And so how do we do that? And so for me, well, one of the things that I always did and Molly chime in for any, any questions or any additional info you want to want to throw into this as well, because you've got a good perspective. But, um, for me, we would always sit down with the actual salesperson individually, not just say, here's what you're, first off, we actually, they had a goal, right? So I, I, shockingly enough, there's a, there are a ton of builders and it's just maybe because they're that tweener size. They don't take the, you know, they're, they're not quite big enough where they have the full staff to support this. Um, but yet they're big enough to where it's becoming a real cons area of things that they want to focus on. But we take the community goal, what, what that community should perform at, and that what that community should be performing at is not our takedown schedule. It's not our principal abatement schedule. It's not the minimum because our takedown schedule is what we're contracted to do. Obviously, you know, whether it's three a quarter or three a month, but that our, our, our takedown schedule is not um, in direct relation to what the sales goal should be. So we create a sales goal that's larger than the takedown schedule. And then we sit down with the salesperson and we ask them first, I want you to put together your business plan on how you're going to get there. And they're going to present that to us as the, as the sales managers. And what we do there is having, this is where it ties into having a CRM in place, because this is really, really important to be able to do the math backwards. So if I know that I'm, and I'm using this for easy math purposes, if I know that I have to sell four homes a month, so that's just one a week. Um, how, if I have to know how many people I have to get in front of first to make that happen. So this is the exercise we would always walk the salesperson through as they were pre pre presenting what their goals, how they were going to get there. Um, but they had to, they had to walk us through it. Um, and so one will sale a week. 
how many people do I need to get in front of? Well, in order to know that, I need to know what my conversion rate is. And in order to know that, I have to have some form of a CRM in place. But for for all intents and purposes, let's just say an average, uh, our average close rate conversion rate is 10%. So that means we're going to sell one home for every 10 people that we're in front of. So that means that I know that I have to be, if that's my closing rate, then I know that I have to have 10 people in front of me every single week. So that's 40, 40 traffic units a month in order to get my four sales. And then from there, we start working backwards and saying, okay, instead of just using 10% as my closing rate, I'm going to break this up by segment, just like we do from a marketing perspective. We look at, um, all right, what percentage of our traffic's coming from social, email, paid ads, whatever, you know, whatever it may be. We look at what, how those leads are converting, and then we figure out where we need to reallocate money. Well, it's kind of the same thing from the salesperson's perspective. I'm like, okay, if I'm converting walk-in traffic at 10%, I'm converting referral traffic, referring, so somebody's already bought from me, my conversion rate's probably really, really high on that. Maybe it's 65 or 70%. If, if a friend or family told them that they should buy a home from me slash my company, that, that closing rate's going to be really, really high. Um, what about real estate agents? What about realtors? What are, what's my realtor relationship look like? And I know depending on the builder, depends on what your strategy is. Um, I've, I was always one of, um, uh, being very realtor friendly, um, going after realtor business because 80 something percent of, uh, over 80% of all the transactions in the market happen with a real estate agent. So I wanted to make sure that they knew who we were and they were always exposed. But if I'm going to have that realtor, if I'm going to say, all right, I'm going to close them at 20%, that's great. I need to go after them. And then, all right, let's talk about our OSC appointments. Am I converting those at 25 or 30%? So I'm looking at all the different ways that I am converting traffic and what those percentages are. And then I just start working the math backwards and going, okay, this is the amount of people I need to be in front of. And then start working backwards and going, okay, how many phone calls do I need to make in order to get that person in front of me? It's really just a numbers game and that's, and, and getting the sales team bought in to that actual method and showing them that, you know, it's like the old saying is how do you, what is it? How do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? But if you just give a number, it's like, I just need you to get four sales a month. We have to talk about I've it on a weekly basis saying, by the way. because you've <laughs> no. never heard the, how do you eat an elephant? <laughs> wow. <laughs> you, that's crazy. I'm gonna Maybe that's just it. my I've southern never heard that in my out. life. Um, I just want to jump in because it's so fascinating. I mean, your yeah. your background and your mindset is so sales driven, and mine is just so marketing driven. And I I'm learning just listening to you talk. For me, I immediately go to how do we get better quality traffic in the door to make sure that those conversions are not. We don't just want warm bodies in the door. So how are we going to alter our message and get better people in the door. Um, and they do go hand in hand. So, so my mind immediately goes to something's not right. If some, if you're converting 10% of people who are coming in the door in today's world, something would be, I would think would be very wrong. Yeah. So, and I agree. And, but you're typical, that's where you start breaking down the different parts of traffic because you're typical, just walk in what we would call the regular walk-in traffic unit 
they convert at a much lower rate than you know the other sources, whether it's referral, whether it's realtor, whether it's OSC. And why is that? Well, it's because if it's an OSC lead, they've already interacted with your company. They've already had multiple touches, five to seven touches at least has happened from the time that they reached out to your company. This, uh, the online salesperson followed up with them whether it was an immediate phone call and they got them, or maybe it was three or four emails, maybe it was back and forth trying to figure out a time and answering questions, but you're at least five to seven touch points in with that, with that customer in your company before they've actually set foot right, in your model. I homes. actually think that there is no such thing anymore as the typical walk-in traffic. I think if you are marketing properly, you will have reached them with at least three to five touch points before they even come in, no matter what. And I agree. And the difference between the marketing touch points and like an OSC touch point, marketing touch points is brand awareness. They're getting familiar with what you've got going on, where the OSC touch points are really right, specific qualifying type questions, right? So it's human interaction versus okay, marketing interaction. Yeah, yeah. And so, but it just comes down to understanding where I need to be spending my time. And instead of saying, in the other thing, obviously, we, uh, I mentioned it just a second ago briefly, but if you've got a monthly goal of four and you only talk about sales towards the end of the month, then you're going to have a fire drill every month at the end of the month because we're not talking about it on a week-to-week -week basis. And that's where coming in with structured sales meetings weekly on a weekly basis. I just had this conversation with a builder last week, um, coming in and doing this on a weekly basis and talking about where are you at with the Smiths? You know, what can I do to help you get them across the line? What, what do we need to do to make this deal, to keep the deal moving forward? Having an identified sales process also helps with that because if you know where you left off with the customer um, is going to tell you what your next steps are. One of the questions I would always ask my sales team whenever we talk to a customer is, how'd we leave it with them? How'd you leave it with them? And what's the next step? Always. It was two questions at every single time. How'd you leave it with them and what's the next step? Because we should always know that answer. And if we have an identifiable sales process along the way that essentially is our checklist, then we'll be able to know like, okay, we covered budget, we covered area, we covered a community. Uh, you know, we're, we're hovering around floor plan. We're two or three floor plans. We haven't locked that floor plan down. So our next step is we've got to gain agreement on the floor plan. And so, and I know I'm, I feel like I'm going down a little rabbit hole of planning. No, I love it because it is so goal oriented. And what happens is I think when, when sales teams can feel like they have support and they have trust and they have very clear goals, it's in any industry, it, it really helps set the expectation. So I actually, I would love for you to even talk more about this. I think we could do an entire episode just about truly about running a successful sales meeting. <laughs> we could. Sure. Absolutely. No, we can, we can definitely do that. That'd be, that'd be fun. I could talk about that for days. Uh, but yeah, so Michelle, I kind of got off on a, on a side tangent there. I hope that helps. I hope that answers your question, but really what it comes down to is we've got to get the salesperson bought in and we've got to take it in chunks and we've got to make sure that we work backwards, work the math backwards all the way from how many sales do I need to have at the end of the day to understanding how many people I have to be in front of, what categories those people fall in from a source of traffic. And then do I have to make phone calls? Like what other activities do I have to do 
to get those people in front of me and knowing what that number is. Cause if you know what that number is, then you can break that down on a daily task level and say, okay, I've got to make 10 follow-up calls every single day in order to ensure that I get 10 people in front of me or whatever that, whatever that number is. Um, and just understanding w- always where we're moving forward and what the next steps are. So, that's my that's my answer when we talk about business planning. Obviously, we could go down a hundred different directions with that, uh, Michelle. But I hope I hope that answers some of your question at least some. All right, very good, Molly. Do you have any like anything else that we need to add to that? No, I think. Uh, well, there is one thing. So I I do find that a lot of times sales people don't know how to get in front of more people, or they're thinking about it, or they're scrambling, and they tend to start to go down that rabbit hole we were talking about before with social media or um, almost between that line between sales and marketing. So I think that that's, I think your comments are really, really important of picking up the phone, getting in front of people and really focusing on those direct sales tactics rather than filling your time with more honestly, top of the funnel stuff that we're talking about today, like posting on social media or things like that, which are not these, um, you know, really focusing on on converting and getting people face to face. So we see that a lot. Whereas when we start um, doing some marketing, we want to, it's important that when you do a sales meeting, um, that you actually keep the sales team in the loop on what you're doing from a marketing standpoint. So they can, they know all the places that you're getting in front of people um, for those top of funnel uh, for that messaging. Yep. Good stuff. Absolutely. Okay, guys, um, that is going to do it for us this week. So thank you guys for joining us on another episode of Building Perspective. Just remember, you can join the conversation with us on our Facebook group page, uh, Building Perspective, where you can ask questions and get them read slash answered on the show. So Michelle, keep asking those questions and uh, we'll keep answering them. I love it. It's been fun building perspective together and we will talk with you soon. Have a great week, guys. Talk to you soon. (laughs) 